Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. you like to be about pivots in your life? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And today in our interview segment, we have Sharin Eskandani, who is a coach, a writer, and a public speaker who has been featured as a wellness expert on the Today Show, the New York Times, and the Doctors in Shape magazine. Prior to building her successful coaching business, she was an award-winning opera singer performing at Carnegie Hall and the Metropolitan Opera. I hope you enjoy the episode today and remember... Something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. Who would you like to be about pivots in your life? So I've been thinking about this question in light of January 2023 that we've all just been through and seeing all of the layoffs that are happening inside the United States. There has been a lot of talk about the recession coming, and there have been a lot of people that are scared right now about what's next for this year. Many people were not anticipating as as many layoffs that have happened in the tech sector that we've seen, and some people are reeling from starting the year without employment. So I was thinking about some of my clients that have gone through this in the past and ways that we've worked through this transition or what I'm calling a pivot. Now, you can't always control circumstances when you are laid off or when something changes suddenly in your job title or salary or life, but you can choose who you be about it. So those are the things I'd like to concentrate on today is who would you like to be about this pivot that's about to happen in your life? So the first thing I suggest is what are the thoughts, feelings, and body sensations that are coming up for you right now? So take a moment, clear some space in your schedule to sit down and write them all out. Every thought, every feeling, and every somatic response in your body that's coming up for you during this time. The second thing is building your team. So who can you call your support team during this time? List out two to four people that you really trust that can hold you when you're scared or when you feel like giving up or when you feel like nothing's going to get better. Write those names down. The third thing is, what is the future version of yourself that you want to step into now? So sometimes when we're in the middle of a mess, it's really hard to see outside of it. So what I have my clients do is think about one year from today, where do you want to be? 
So paint or write or draw out a version of yourself one year from today that is representative of where you want to be after this pivot. What does life look like? Are you living in the same space? Are you surrounded by the same people? Are you in a completely different career? What's that thing that you've always desired to do that now is a chance to actually create? Really get a good, robust picture going on of what that future vision is. And then remind yourself daily of this future. So you're going to practice stepping into that future way of being right now, even in the mess. Daily getting up and saying, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm headed. And here is all the support around me that will help me get there. And then take action from there. All of this is access to choosing who you want to be about your circumstances in the moment. The powerful place to step into is looking at what is the mindset I want to bring in right now to support me in this pivot, trusting that I'm going to that future vision. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. I remember, Sharon, when I met you, we met at a coffee shop and we didn't know each other. I don't actually even remember how we were introduced, but I know we were in the singing world. And I know that we found out we were both coaches and I think I reached out and I said, I'd love to meet you for coffee. And I remember walking into this coffee shop and thinking how incredibly vibrant um, and beautiful and stunning you were, just not only physically, but your, your soul and your being. And I remember us both being brand new coaches and very excited about the possibility of coaching. Also kind of just surprised and shocked that we both you know, had made this big move recently from the upper world. I mean, do you have any recollection of any of that or what were your, your thoughts? Oh yeah. I totally remember it was a coffee shop in Midtown. Yeah. And what's really interesting is it was like a coffee shop near Opera America. It was like yeah. that 20, right. Which is an mm-hmm. area that to then used to have such a different meaning to me as it does now. Um, and I do remember, I don't know who connected us. I'm sure it was someone who was like, Oh, you were a singer. She was a singer. You're coaching. She's coaching. You guys should meet. I'm so grateful to that person because it was it was the same thing for me when I met you. I was like, this is a human I want to get to know. This is someone I want to be in community with. I want to be in relationship with because I could tell from the instant we connected your deep commitment um, and respect for the practice of coaching and kind of this journey we were both going on. So it was really exciting to meet someone who was just as excited as I was and just as like into it in the same way. Oh my gosh. Yes. I thank you for that. And I I just remember that that feeling with you. And and what's funny is we didn't even speak again for a whole nother year or even further than that. I think it was almost two years. So we reconnected again after that moment because we were so busy. <laughs> and, we like, were so busy. We're- <laughs> Yes. And then, and then the pandemic happened, moves were made, things happened. Um, But again, I think I really, really believe that like we come into community, we come into contact with people and we don't know how it's going to play out or what's going to happen. But we sometimes just know that someone's an important person on the path. And I felt very much, very much that you were one of those people for me when we met and then never saw each other again for like two to three years. I know, which I actually count as a huge win because that means that our business has exploded. So, you know, go for us yes. because we, we must go celebrate us. those wins. <laughs> well, yes. 
a lot of what I talk about in the world is how I left the upper world um, and came into the coaching world and pivoted. And um, I share a lot about that in my circles, but I'd love to hear what was your journey and will you share a little bit about what happened for you? Yeah. So similar to Elena, you know, my first career uh, was opera singing. I was an opera singer. And, you know, for me singing, I came to it very early on in life. It was like my first love. It was where I felt the most me. So my family immigrated from Iran to Canada when I was four. And I came from a very musical family. And I think that music to me was like that rootedness, that groundedness, right? Being a child of immigrants, coming to a city where I was like a handful of um, kids of color, really feeling like I didn't belong, really feeling like just not feeling at home. And I think music for me was where I found that sense of home. I think also, you know, connected to, I always, I always start my, my story with being a child of immigrants, which is something I'm very, very, very proud of. Um, but it also informed a lot of like my work ethic. I was an exceptionally hard worker. I, st- I always say I'm like, I'm a recovering hard worker. I'm a recovering perfectionist. Um, and, you know, I found my worth and my value. The way that I was seen was through how much I did. And the way that I found like my worth and value when I was younger was through that. And so I kind of combined this love I had for singing with this hard work ethic. And it got me really far. I graduated from my undergrad in Canada. Came to New York to realize my big dreams of singing at the Met one day or whatever. And I moved from like where I was kind of like a big fish in a little pond to, as you know, Elena coming to New York, like everyone is, is, was their own big fish here. And (laughs) all of a sudden this identity that I had built around being like the best, right. Just started to crumble around me. Right. That's, and, and I didn't have the tools to go inward and say, Hey, like maybe we need to like reframe this idea of being the best and perfectionism and hard work. Instead, you know, I doubled down on it. I was like, okay, well this worked in the past. So it has, I just have, that's all I know. That's what I have to keep doing. And so I got really far with that again. And I think that's the thing with those character traits is like, they do get us very far, but oftentimes at the expense of our own well being and health. Right. So I graduated from undergrad uh, from my master's and I was, you know, one of a few of the graduating class. I got a job right away, you know, the apprenticeships and all that stuff. I was working all over the place, but it was like, even though I was living my dream, it didn't feel like a dream. All I was focused on was like what I wasn't doing well, the jobs I wasn't getting, who was doing better than me. Going in the practice room started to become this real like, a difficult thing because like it was the space where I was the most unkind to myself. Right. Mm, And so this love mm -hmm. and joy that I had for singing, this thing that once was home for me became the thing that I really had started to resent. And so I, I was like really at the point of burnout. I didn't know this. I didn't know it was burnout at the time really questioning whether I wanted to sing. And it was like in that moment where like I got the call I'd been waiting for forever. So my, my agent, my manager at the time called me, I'd had an audition at the Metropolitan Opera, like three months previous, which I thought I completely botched. 
they called me and they were like, hey, Sharon, the Metropolitan Opera wants you to sing in Carmen next season. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Huh? Like, like, I was like, do they want me to be an understudy? Like, they're like, no, they want you to, you're going to be Mercedes in, in Carmen. And I was like, what is this? And so, you know, I have that moment of excitement, but then I remember getting my contract and I'll never forget it. Like this, I had imagined this moment so many times, you know, as a young girl be signing this contract and I would feel happy. I'd feel fulfilled. I feel successful. I'd think to myself, you made it. And I remember signing that contract and feeling like none of those feelings. Like I just felt just that sense of like, you don't deserve this. You're not good enough for this. Total insecurity, mm. total fear, total doubt. And that moment was a real aha for me because I had been waiting. I think a lot of singers, right? And a lot of people in whatever field we have, you have these pit pinnacles, these like benchmarks that like, and you think, you keep thinking, well, the reason why I'm not happy, the reason why I don't think I'm good enough, the reason why I'm not fulfilled is because I haven't gotten X yet. And I got X. Like there was nothing about that contract that I would have wanted to change. It was my dream role, dream like salary, dream everything. And I didn't feel the way I thought I was going to feel. And so that really, I was like, Shireen, you got to fix what's inside because this external stuff is going really well. So that's when. I went on my inner journey and I got into mindfulness and mindset. And that's when I started working with a coach and I loved coaching. I mean, I'd done therapy and I love therapy, but as we both know, there's something different about coaching and it really shifted everything. And to this day, I always say that my like greatest achievement in life isn't singing at the Met, but it was singing at the Met and being able to enjoy every moment of it. Even when things, you know, didn't go well, even when like I missed a choreographed step or my note didn't come out the way I wanted it to, you know, in the past, that would have been something I would have just kept thinking about and like, you know, just ruminating over, but I had done so much inner work. I'd I'd had these, these tools that I could move through it fluidly, gracefully, you know, and I could take a bow at the end of every performance and really feel like I deserved to be there and really take that moment in. And so that really set me on a trajectory where I started to, for me, and I say this with clients who want to kind of transition careers, especially career they used to really love. I try to get them to a point kind of like I did where let's see if we can find the joy again. Let's Mm -hmm. see if we can find that like initial love again, because I think from that place, we can make really aligned decisions. And so when I found the joy again, I was like, hey, I love singing, but I don't think I love this career. And so that's when I looked into a coaching certification because I loved, I loved being coached. And I was like, I want to become a coach. And yeah, then here we are. Now I'm coaching. That was a very long story, um, but it <laughs> really but describes the ins and outs. <laughs> well, and I think it's so important. Story is everything because our, our journeys are similar. There might be a little bit of differences in terms of the relational aspect. Like, I'm so glad to hear that you were able to still get to perform at your top you know, the top, top pinnacle of our profession and enjoy it. And and I don't think I ever reached that. I think I walked away because I was, you know, not able to do that work at the same time that you described. And so uh, it's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing where you got to with it. And you know, you said something that I'm curious about that I want to pull the thread a little bit on is around perfectionism you didn't use the word perfectionism. That's the word I'm using, but perfectionism and excellence, what I deem as excellence. And 
Where do you think the intersection of self-love or self-worth work comes between those two ideas for people? You know, it's so nuanced because I think there is a, a loving ourselves also means doing things that are important to us. And there is a certain like that, the difference between kind of excellence and perfectionism and perfectionism though, is about what I have come to understand. Perfectionism is about proving to others that you are worthy, that you are lovable, um, maybe even proving to yourself that you're lovable. So, right. So if I can do this perfectly, then they will accept me. Then they will love me. If I can do this perfectly, then I can love myself. Right. And so I think that perfection is a myth. It's a lie. And it's something that really keeps us from doing the things we want to do. It keeps us from existing in a way that is where we can do the things we want to do. And at a standard that, that is, that feels really good for us, but not having to go beyond that and going to that place of proving. I think when we get to that place of proving, that's when it gets very dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I feel the same way. And with excellence, I always like to talk about with my clients and, and the corp- corporate companies that we walk into rooms with, uh, they are, they're always asking the difference between the two. And I love your definition of perfectionism. And with excellence, what do you have to add to that? Anything? With excellence? I mean, yeah. yes, I think, you know, and I, uh, I forget Brene Brown, because I know you probably know the quote that she says about excellence, right? But it's just like, Excellence is my standard. Excellence is what I have created for myself that feels really good and aligned. And I know that I am pushing myself, right? Because pushing ourselves is required for us to do the hard things that allow us to achieve our dreams, accomplish our goals and all of that. And so I think excellence is is holding ourselves to a certain standard, Um, but it's our standard. It's what we have defined as being that standard. It's not a standard someone else has given us or that we feel we should live up to or supposed to. Um, yes, but I would love to hear your definition as well of excellence. I love that. It's it's something internal that we create. I'm with you 100%. But the piece that I add into it that I really love is that it leaves room for surprise. So what I, I notice that. with people that are that are in a conversation around, you know, perfection versus excellence is it's definitely you get out of the proving conversation. Uh and stepping into what is a true representation experientially? Like, how are you experiencing excellence for yourself? But also, when someone is excellent or master something, I think the whole room is surprised, right? Like, you're surprised, like the people around you are surprised, the level, the leveling up that is a, obtained from excellence is, uh, I think of it as a all boats rise metaphor, actually. Like everybody's rising together in excellence. And so that's sort of how I frame it when um, I'm thinking about it for myself. And maybe that's just the easy way that I get out of, you know, reminding myself that it's not about control and proving <laughs> proving my worth to the world. <laughs> no, I love that so, so much. But I think it is like that big, the, I love that so much, that element of surprise. And I'm sure this is the same with you, Alina, but you know, at the end of the year, we're recording this just at the beginning of the new year. Um, I do like to take a little bit of like a personal inventory and I love, I surprise myself in the best of ways, you know, when you, especially, you know, like, and I think that is, is that, that element of, that element of excellence of just 
really surprising yourself by the things you do, the commitment you have to those things, the persistence, the resilience. Like I think those are also things we should we should really seek out excellence in. It's not just the external things, but also the internal things. I think that's also um, really important as well. That's great. You mentioned the end of the year and the beginning of the year. Yeah. You know, we're here we are in January and a lot of people are looking at resolutions or goals. And, you know, I think you and I are similar that we, we feel like, well, I'll speak for me. I, I personally hate resolutions and, and rushing to declare something for the new year. So I, I take a much more gentle approach, but how does this conversation about perfection and excellence wrap into that? Oh my goodness. This is a really tough time of year. And, you know, I used to be of that mindset where like, oh, I have to create resolutions. I have to like, and there's this perfect way to end the year and there's a perfect way to start the year. And how can I do that? Which can be really overwhelming. And then I went completely 180 and I was like, screw all this. Like, I'm not going to make any goals, not (laughs) going to make any intentions. But then, you know, March or April comes around and you're like, wait a second. Like I, I, I kind of perhaps should have created a little bit of a map or a compass to this year, you know? And so I think that's the practice and the nuance of, of this time of year. I think having these moments, and it's been shown, um, you know, research-wise that this idea of the fresh start really psychologically is a thing, right? So whether that's January 1st or your birthday or the first day of spring or whatever, a full moon, there is this element of psychology within us that that feels really inspired, right? To, to do and try new things. I think, however, the nuance here is, so I call... I call this practice sweet spot goals. And a lot of people call it different things. But I try with my clients and with myself to create goals that are kind of the intersection of where I want to go and who I am today. Because I think a lot of the times we're creating goals or habits or intentions for ourselves for this fictionalized version of ourselves, right? A version of ourselves that we aren't yet. So like the version of ourselves that wakes up at 5 a.m. every day easily or can easily contact like 15 people, potential clients, you know, and those are things we can work towards. But I also want us to take into account who is the person today and what is important to that person too? Like, what are the things in your life that are important to you? Or, you know, for instance, some of us have um, non-negotiable demands on our time and our energy. And I think that sometimes we're made to feel like we should be ashamed of right? The fact that we're not a morning person. We should be ashamed of the fact that we have family living with us and we have to do X, Y, and Z or feel bad about that. And I just think there's such a more gentle way, as you said, to begin this year excited about it and inspired by like the next 12 months instead of like overwhelmed by it. But I know that this can be really tough. How do you, how do you approach this time of year, Alina? Similar. I, You know, I like to say goodbye gently. I always use that word gentle towards the end of the year because I feel like people are like (laughs) either like crawling their way to the holidays or rushing (laughs) to the holidays. And so I I just remind everyone and myself in particular, like, hey, this can be a gentle goodbye and a gentle entry. And I I think I'm similar where I sit down and maybe I I write a list of things that I that I want or I desire this year, but it's real loose. 
There's not yeah. a lot of structure. There's no dates. There's no, there's not a lot of pure intention behind it other than just, this is something I think I'd like to explore this year. And then for January, I kind of let that ruminate like a big old pot of soup where you're just like letting it stew and simmer and how does it feel and what does it taste like? And and then from there, by the end of the month, I'm usually pretty clear, okay, this is the direction I'm heading and why. Because for me, if the what for the intention isn't grounded, uh, I tend to I tend to do what I did in the opera world, which is work really, really hard to prove something to myself or be a workaholic and hide or numb out from how I'm truly feeling, which again, I wouldn't have had that language for before I'd done this work in coaching, you know, knowing that that's what I did to hide from myself, right? So I'm constantly checking myself on those goals and what's happening. And I got to say, it feels radical. You know, it feels when the rest of the world is, is declaring or when businesses need to know at the end of quarter, you know, the fourth quarter, what all of quarter one looks like. It is a complete turnaround, like 180 of mindset thinking to to really be with what could go differently if we were gentle with it or slow. I don't know. Does any of that resonate with you too? Oh my gosh, absolutely. (laughs) No, it really does. Because sometimes I feel I'm exactly the same way. I take a much more gentle, intentional, and more slow approach to all of this as well. And sometimes I feel like... so. I right now am reading, I just finished Atomic Habits. I finished, um, what was the other book I read? But they're books around like habits and all that. And I love reading them. But I also find those books very, uh, a very kind of, um, I mean, like capitalistic, not, not that capitalism is a bad thing, but also kind of way of being and a very kind of patriarchal way of being, which I think is kind of generally how that world is. Um, It's not a world which there can be softness and creativity and expansion and growth. It's, It's just everything has to feel like there's a deadline, there's a thing we're working towards. And that's really important. But I also think exactly what you're saying is really important too, because then we end up creating these goals that we feel really bound to. And we don't question them because I think that's probably what you and I both did with our singing careers for so long is these goals that people told us we're supposed to strive for. And we're such good women that we're Mm -hmm. like, this is what you're supposed to do. It's what we saw around us too. It was the model we had. And you're achieving these goals, like, you know, knocking them off, but not feeling any more fulfilled or you can't reach them because they're not your goals. They're just, they're, they were never meant for you anyway, (laughs) but then you feel like a total failure. Right. So I actually years ago was introduced to, and I don't know if Danielle Laporte came up with this, but I know that she's the most kind of, uh, this is very much connected with her, but she, her work is about figuring out how you want to feel. So Mm -hmm. instead of figuring out what you want to do in the year, it's first figure out how you want to feel. How do I want to feel in 2023? And then if you want, this is the cherry on top. It's not necessary though. Then see if you can come up with intentions or goals or whatever you want to call them that will allow you to cultivate those feelings. And that's something that I've always really loved because it, one, you know the why, right? So like, for instance, if I want to contact 10 clients, it isn't just this reason of like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. But if my word for the year is expansion, I want to feel expansive then contacting new 10 new clients or, you know, that that's an expansion that feels really aligned for me. 
but also it allows the space for pivoting. And I think over the last couple of years with the pandemic, we really learned that we have to become much more malleable people, which is like what we're supposed to be, right? Which is we're supposed to be flexible. Nothing is certain. But what happened during those, you know, year and a half where we were really kind of in lockdown or is that we couldn't pivot, right? Mm-hmm. And, and some of us could. Like for me, I was like, okay, well, if I want to feel expansive this year and I know that X, Y, and Z can't happen, what is what does expansion look like with all of these circumstances and conditions and how I'm feeling mentally and emotionally, right? So there's just something much more, um, I don't know, creative and it feels much much more aligned with me and it feels much more gentle and soft as you were saying. So I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And I love that you do that. And I love that I'm in company with you because sometimes <laughs> I'm like, am I the weirdo over here? Like not just blasting out these mm-hmm. projections and these goals. And yeah, so I love that. Yeah. Well, and thanks for standing for that in the world because it is, I want to highlight what you said, both you and I work heavily in inclusion and belonging uh, in, in as a foundational practice as POCs, but also just what we stand to bring in the world. Um, And what I love about what you just shared is it is the true starting point of empathic leadership. And so for everybody who's always trying to look at how do we tie these things together and how do we integrate belonging and inclusion in cultures, this is a great place to start, even though it feels very uncomfortable. It's something new, but just as you said, it's, it's back to the human approach as opposed to, uh, the way we were taught to do something. It's so funny. I was thinking today, I was watching the news last night and it's uh, Sunday night. So I was watching a Sunday night news and the the woman on the newscast said, you know, and as you get ready to enter your work week, uh, you know, this is what's happening in the forecast. She was talking about the rain. And I was thinking, it's everywhere. Man, it's just laced everywhere. These beliefs where we're told how we're supposed to be. And I, and I said, who decided that this is the work week? And what if everything was, you know, what if I'm working all the time because of my commitment to the world versus these hours that have been deemed like, this is what you do. You watch the news at night and then you go to bed and then you wake up and then you declare some goals. <laughs> and it just, yep. um, I love the word creativity that you brought in because to me, that is where beautiful, new, innovative ideas and connection with humans are built. But if we don't, if we cut that out, then, then we're left with our routine and what we're told to do. (laughs) And I think you named the other one too, which I think is so important, which is curiosity. The questioning, right? I think we need to question far more. We need to be curious about it far more. Curious about, okay, I created this goal for myself four months ago. Is it really working for me? Is this really going is this because a lot of the we don't we just stick to the goal we just do it and i think we need to question all of it because the 4 months ago you may have thought this was a great idea but now maybe you want something different or maybe it's not the thing that you wanted or you know so curiosity is just such a key component to all of this too which is like even questioning the weather person is is important elena yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just questioning the weather. Well, and that brings us back to where we started with your story is, you know, learning about yourself and self-love. And so what does curiosity bring you in your life for you? So not just for, you know, I, I know you and I are talking right now about goals in the world and companies and leadership, but if we if we circle it all the way back to you, 
What does curiosity provide for your life? I love curiosity because if we think of curiosity, and for me, like a lot of kids are really curious. Everything is new. There's a sense of awe. And I think that's something we as adults aren't great at is that things become fixed. We think we know things. We think we know how it's supposed to be. And I think curiosity brings us back to that beginner's mindset of asking the questions. And I think when I ask myself the questions, it also comes back to really trusting whatever answer I give. That's a hard one too. I think we're really afraid of curiosity because the questions may lead to answers that we don't want to hear from ourselves, right? The answer that's like, yeah, you know that thing you've built over two years? It's not the thing anymore for you, love. Like, it's time to let go, right? (laughs) (laughs) After, yeah, 22 years into opera and it's like, what? (laughs) Right, but like, right? It's like, but that's the thing is like, I, I don't even, we don't want to be curious because of the fear of what's on the other side of that curiosity. And I think if I think of all of the people that I admire, the people that I think are really creative and innovative from a small scale to a large scale, those are curious individuals, which are always questioning things. And we don't have to be questioning it like, you know, like having to reframe the entire like model of some sort of business structure. But the tiniest of questions do I actually like this? Or, you know, like Byron Katie, is this true? Mm -hmm. Um, Another one that I've been really playing around a lot with kind of, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, decolonizing my coaching practice is the idea of who benefits from me believing this is true. That's been like a really powerful one for me lately, Mm -hmm. but the questions are so powerful. I was listening to a podcast recently and I wish I remembered the the researcher that, that there was a he was a, a doctor of behavioral science, and there's so much research around how simply the question unanswered this the question itself your mind starts to do its own thing. Like the, I always mm-hmm. say to my clients, we're planting seeds. That the questions are the kindling. They're the kindling. And that's why I think we're so afraid of questions. And I think that the questions have led me to the life that I have now, which is I'm so grateful for. But like you, probably I was not questioning anything Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. I was on this prescribed road and journey and I realized, I don't think this is the journey for me. I love that, man. And I love the tie-in that you did around decolonization and what that can actually, you know, for me and my culture and my upbringing, stopping to ask yourself what you want was not okay, right? Because for, for a myriad of reasons, but it was getting curious about what you want was a luxury afforded to others, right? So that that was sort of the context or the frame that that I that I probably put on myself more than anything. And so what I hear and what you just shared around curiosity is that it's access to self-love directly. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when people come to me and I'm like, hmm, we should probably talk about self-love, everybody's like, what does that mean? I mean, even when I first started, I was like, I've heard about self-love my whole life. It's a myth. I don't understand it. It's some intangible thing that people want me to like, you know, it's so funny. I live in California now and and I keep telling everybody I'm getting more California by the moment when I- <laughs> Which I 
still have a lot of judgments about that I'm working through, but <laughs> I love but it. I mean, so Alina, you, you are wearing black as we do this podcast. Okay, so you have good. not a lost, you've not you. lost it. <laughs> I've not lost the New Yorker in me, but it's so funny because I, I have these reactions still. And so do my clients. And this is one of the easiest places to step into it is just be curious. And that in itself is an act of self-love. So that could be a starting point for many people. I love that so much. Yes, absolutely. Super cool. Well, you are amazing. Tell me about this membership community that you've started. Let's speak a little bit about this. What's Why'd you create it? What is it? And how can people find it? Yeah, so I created the Alchemy Collective a little over a year ago. I So I, I love this word alchemy. And I kind of call the work that I do life alchemy because, you know, alchemy is this idea of taking base matter, of taking these like things that you don't think have any value and creating gold out of them. And I think that's what the process of coaching is. It's this ability, this transmutation of some of the things in your life and some of the parts of you that you're like, oh, this is terrible. You have judgment or shame against. It's like taking all of that and being able to make gold and, and, and understanding that that's how you create the gold. It's from all of the parts of you and all of your experiences. And so I'd wanted to create this community for a while because I also then saw the power of working in community, which, you know, it's funny as a coach, a lot of people come to you and they're like, well, I just want to work one-on-one. And I'm like, but you know, let's try this group thing for a little bit. You know, I get it. If it's not for you, we can, And I got to tell you, more often than not, people are like, I'm so glad I'm doing this with other folks, you know, because when you're on this journey of growth, as much as we love the people around us in our own lives, they're also very fixed and we can't expect them to be on the same journey we are. And so that can be very isolating and it can be very difficult to thrive when you don't have other people to talk to, when you don't have other people who can just listen or support or inspire you in the way that you need that inspiration. And so I created the Alchemy Collective for folks who just want a space in which they can incubate their dreams and grow and thrive and just a really safe space where they can be and figure themselves and their life out. So I love our community so much. We, you know, have now expanded. We started with three calls a month. We do five now. And and of those five, one of the calls is for our BIPOC community. One is for our caregiver community, which is like, I love that, right? Because we can talk about an idea like self-love as humans, but then practicing self-love as someone who is BIPOC is going to be a little different. And then practicing self-love as someone who takes care of little ones or elderly folks or disabled folks also looks really different. And so we need to have spaces in which we can really look into that. So yeah, the Alchemy Collective is this beautiful labor of love. And we're I open the door seasonally. So it's open at the end of um, January until January 29th. Um, and then it'll open again in the late spring as well. Amazing. Thanks for creating it. And what I'm fascinated about the word collective, I, I know I said the word community, but collective is that you're actually creating a space for more people to intentionally practice in community, which is part of uh, your mission in the world, which I love. So thanks for living your purpose. Thank you, <laughs> love. Thanks. Yeah. 
Well, my last question for you is when I ask every guest, which is if you had a big old sign that you wanted to carry into this year for humanity, if you were leading them down this path, what would you say to them? The year. Oh my gosh. The sign would just say, always trust yourself. That's it. Always Very trust simple. yourself. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That'll lead you. If we just trusted ourselves, I'm telling you, everything would shift. Everything would change. <laughs> it's so true. Also another practice in self-love. Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your light and your generosity and your soul with the world and with, with the listeners here. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for having me. This was such a wonderful way to start my week and to start this year. Thank you, Elena. 